if we cannot be humble about our mistakes, then the concern is that how can we expect anyone else to be willing to learn from errors or to realize it's psychologically a safe place for them to make an error and not try and hide it? Welcome to the Veterinary Leadership Success Podcast, the show for veterinary practice owners and managers who are eager to become the leaders their teams deserve. I'm your host, veterinarian and leadership expert, Dr. Dave Nicol, and each week I'll be diving into important topics from the world of veterinary team leadership. In these short, sharp and punchy episodes, I'll share my insights, experiences and practical tips to help you navigate the challenges of leadership in the veterinary profession. Whether it's head in the clouds vision casting or in the trenches leading for performance, we will cover it all. As an owner myself, I understand the unique dynamics and demands of running a successful veterinary practice. And I'm passionate about empowering you to create a workplace where people and pets can thrive. So if you're ready for your weekly leadership fix, let's dive in to this week's show. Welcome to today's episode of the Veterinary Leadership Success Show. I've been doing this very much monologue, just monologuing, ranting at the microphone, raging into the darkness in the microphone myself. So I thought I'd bring in some light to share some wisdom here. So my very dear friend, I've known for a very long time in veterinary medicine now, this is somebody who I first met second year I did speaking in, it was Kansas, was no, it wasn't, it was in? It was in Washington, D.C. It was Washington, it was in D.C., yeah. yeah. I was trying to remember the places by the room shapes. And I'm like, I remember it by the big jug of mojitos that was on the front counter. <gasps> was that mojitos the first time? Yeah. Yes, okay. So that voice you're hearing is the voice of Dr. Sia Clement who is, I think, pound for pound, one of the best leaders in veterinary medicine, who is extremely effective at two things, big picture and little picture, which I think is quite unusual. Just taking ideas and making them happen and running with them, I think that's a, something I've been really impressed is that in all of the years that I've been speaking, I don't know how many thousand people I've shared ideas and concepts with, I could count on the fingers of maybe more than one hand. That's been a bit unkind. But there's certainly a a fraction of people that I've seen take things and actually execute on them compared to what's normal. And it's normal because we all get stuck and are busy. Thinking ideas are good, but then just getting stuck in the rut of normal and being overtaken by events in your practice. So very great pleasure to have you on the show, Saya. Welcome back. Well, thanks. It's really good to see your face through, you know, a camera and uh, to hear your voice again. I know. And I say welcome back because you've been not been on this podcast before, but you have been on Blunt Section. Yeah, that was a while ago. Actually, that was pre-COVID. I think that was when we recorded in San Diego, right? That was San Diego. Yeah, like oh, literally nice. before the world shut down by a few months. It was, it was odd times and a lot of water under the bridge since then. So I wanted to get you on today because, and we're going to try and do this in 20 minutes or less. And that's a lot because there's a lot to leadership and this is a show about leadership, but I was keen. I want to invite you on because, you know, you've been through the the cycle of ownership. You've seen not just the full cycle of ownership and that sort of macro of having 
owned a clinic, run a clinic over several years and exited a clinic. But to have seen lots of sub-cycles, whether they're year-to-year cycles, the sort of circadian rhythm of practice, as it were, or economic cycles, you've gone through and there's a lot of water under your leadership career. And I think there must be some absolutely, I don't just think, I know there's some brilliant lessons waiting in the wings there that I'd just love for you to share. Now, I'm not going to structure it beyond that, other than to sort of have given you the, the vaguest notion of what we would discuss. But it was really, what would be awesome would get leadership takeaways. What have been the most impactful leadership takeaways that you think are the recurring lessons or principles that have served you the best over your years of leadership? It was interesting because when you asked me to do this, I actually started thinking about what I was going to say. And I don't know that I actually kind of knew until this morning when I was under pressure of the fact that we were going to be on this call. And I think the one thing as a leader, I think there's good leaders and I think there's great leaders. And I like to think that everybody has a certain skill set where they can be a good leader. And I think the great leaders are the ones who, and by the way, I don't necessarily put myself in this category. I, I never do. But I think the great leaders are the ones who will develop the people who follow them far more than they develop themselves and that they care more about the people who follow them than they do themselves, but not at their own expense. And I will qualify that because I think there is a a point where as a leader, you can really fatigue yourself because you think, oh, I'm doing all these wonderful things for my team and they're not giving me anything back. And I think that the great leaders actually figure out what that balance is so they actually survive and they can do that. You know, and I, we had joked about this just before we started recording that as soon as I usually come on to any sort of podcast or show as a professed expert on something, the bottom usually falls out of my life and usually specifically on the thing that I'm talking about. So no doubt my leadership will get called into question here in the next one or two days. And I guess that was the other thing is that it's not something that you can be consistently good at all the time. Like everyone is going to have days when they feel less resilient and less able and less accommodating of somebody else. And I think part of really good leadership is actually recognizing that about yourself and saying, hey, I'm not at my best today and I cannot do this today. And today is maybe not the day that I make the colossal decision to jump the practice off a bridge because it seems like a good idea at the time, nor should I ever go shopping in the industry hall with you looking for a class four laser during periods like that which I think we've joked about in the past before. And we won't also talk about the fact that I just bought a new microphone just so I can record this with you today. You know, there are times where as a leader, you make leaps of faith and say, I, I'm going to do this because I think it's right. And there are days where emotionally you may not be well equipped to do that. And to know the difference is is a good thing. So actually, you've given me two leadership things to take away in your sort of good to great ingredients or perhaps some of the differentiators. And one was intentional and the other one was perhaps unintentional, but I think I'm going to put it on your list anyway as a free hit. So the the intentional one is self-awareness and sort of having that sense of knowing where you're at emotionally to be able to function, whether it's as a decision maker or as some kind of carer of your team or yourself, that having that self-awareness. So I would like to dig in and ask you, like if I had to press you to go, how have you built that muscle? Let's think of this a little bit like being in the gym and some people 
are naturally bigger framed and can lift weights and some people are better at cardio naturally, but everyone can improve in both of those areas. And very few people are straight off the production line ready to fit the mold of a leader. You know, we learn this skill. Some are more comfortable, but we learn it. So are there like maybe two or three bullet points beneath that heading that you think are ways that you find useful to build or improve your self-awareness or your awareness of self? And I mean that purposefully, that differentiation. So specifically self-awareness as opposed to awareness of everything else. I think I had a very, very fortunate experience as a leader in a practice to have someone who would serve as my moral compass for me when I was not at my best. This mm-hmm. was a human being who I trusted implicitly. If she's listening to this, she knows precisely who she is. And I will not embarrass her because uh, she would hate to be shouted out about something like this, but she knows exactly who she is. And this is somebody that I worked with in practice that I owned for almost 22 years, I believe it was. And she, to this day, is the one person who, if I am not at my best, will spot it instantly on seeing me and not have to even ask. She will walk up to me and say, are you okay? Should you be here? She's sent me home from the clinic twice on days when I really shouldn't have been there. And I have done her the same courtesy of sending her home as well, too. So we do look after each other. That's cool. Yeah. I brought her into my inner circle extremely early in both of our careers. And it was during a time that I'm not necessarily proud of because I was actually a pretty toxic veterinarian early on in my career. And I think she was the one person who was very much able to kind of call that behavior out without me taking offense. And if you know me, I can have a bit of a fiery temper at times when it's brought to my attention that I'm not being 100% correct. So she was instrumental in doing that. Now, are people the major pain point in your practice? If so, you're not alone. Over 90% of managers report staff problems to be their number one issue. At the root of this problem are usually three dysfunctions. A poorly articulated vision, toxic culture, or some form of leadership breakdown. If this sounds familiar, then do not despair. Help is at hand. I encourage you to check out Leaders, a veterinary-specific leadership training program where you will learn how to create and execute on a shared vision how to hire well and build a powerful, high-performance practice culture without all the drama. The class is accredited, delivered online, and open for applications now. To learn more, listen to a free training webinar, or apply, visit drdavenickel.com forward slash leaders. Now back to the show. and in helping me on that journey. I think the other thing that I was very fortunate to have was just a practice which was very accommodating of my need to change stuff. And so uh, I have said this to you before that COVID was probably one of the most liberating times of my life because I could blame everything on the virus and say, no, we have to do telemed and no, we have to figure out how to bill through a telephone and, and all of these things. And we have to figure out how to you know see people curbside. And The funny part of it is that, you know, in a change adverse profession where you yourself are a change monkey, you have to also be very aware of what other people's limitations are as compared to yours and how those can sometimes be at cross purposes. So again, I was very fortunate to sort of land in a place that was a little more accommodating. But as a leader, 
the question is, do you drag everybody along with you or do you actually build the thing around them so they actually do it themselves? And I would argue that the great leaders do the latter. Mm, right. Okay. The bonus one you gave me there was humble. Good leaders are humble. Yeah, they are actually, because there's a vulnerability you have to have about the fact that you are still a human being and that you aren't going to always make the right decision and that sometimes you will make a colossal mistake. Yeah. And the willingness to actually say, yeah, I screwed that up pretty badly is something that I, I think a lot of us worry about how are we looked upon when we make a mistake or an error. And I think that the important thing to remember is for me, an error is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to learn. It's an opportunity to grow. It's an opportunity to make sure that never happens again because I hated it the first time it happened and I don't want to repeat it. The reality is, is that if we cannot be humble about our mistakes, then the concern is that how can we expect anyone else to be willing to learn from errors or to realize it's psychologically a safe place for them to make an error and not try and hide it. So that is something that means a lot more to me now. It is to create a space that's safe for people, where people can develop and grow and reach their full potential. And I only do that by admitting that I'm not perfect. You moved into a third thing there, so psychological safety. I want to scratch that one a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So being vulnerable, I suppose it is being vulnerable to admit you screwed up, but you could still do it in a non-vulnerable way, like yelling and stomping and stuff. So how do you create psychological safety? How would you propagate that? That's a little harder. I think it is truly having your brain in that spot. So you basically have to say, the example I usually give to people is that, you know, when somebody working for NASA scrubs a space shuttle flight or whatever, you know, whatever vehicle it is they're flying these days, they don't necessarily turn around and fire that person for making an error. They ask, do you understand what happened? Do you understand what you did? Do you understand what went wrong? And they keep them on because then they understand that, yeah, no, there's a way to avoid that and we won't make a multi-million dollar mistake again. So they typically don't fire them, Right. And I think what we forget is that we build a culture when we educate veterinary professionals, veterinarians and technicians, nurses, whatever, you know, what word you you use. I think we we build a place in teaching for those professions where it isn't safe to make an error. I remember going through vet school and an error was a really great way to get dressed down in front of all of your classmates or uh, you were made to feel like uh, you were less of a human being because you didn't know the answer or you perhaps learned a different way. And so therefore you didn't have that skill set quite yet. I didn't graduate the head of my class. I didn't graduate anywhere close to it, mostly because I, I just couldn't be bothered to study that hard to learn all of the stuff I needed to. And I tell people that all the time, right? I was the one who was sitting squarely in the middle of the class because I knew I wasn't going to be the one in the front row and I didn't want to be in the one in the back. So graduating solidly average is not a bad thing. But I think making a psychologically safe place involves being curious. Like as a leader, you have to have curiosity and you have to be willing to ask why. You know, if someone's not at their best, hey, you know, I noticed you're seeming a little bit off today or is everything okay? And it turns out that their life at home has collapsed or it turns out that they lost a patient yesterday or, you know, or that their very favorite client who always brings us chocolate chip cookies is in the hospital with pneumonia or something like that, right? So there's all kinds of reasons why someone wouldn't be at their best. There's all kinds of reasons why someone might have made an error. There's all kinds of 
And it's a judgment profession, right? So we, we have to be aware of the fact that there is always going to be clinical judgment there. And I don't think there's a single one of us that have never made an, an error. I like to say my technicians prevent me from making errors all the time because they're really good at their job. And likewise, I for them. But the reality is, is that it is only, you know, we're only kind of steps away from being heroes or, or absolute abysmal failures. Like then there's not much leeway sometimes, right? So I like to say that those days that I managed to get a catheter in where no one else can't, I'm literally also sitting there holding the paw of the cat going, can someone please tape this so I don't lose this IV access because I can't do that, right? But always being curious. The curiosity is critical for me. Like if, if something isn't going right, we have to ask why. And I think the great tendency a lot of the time is to use that power that comes from the hierarchy in the hospital to then demand what went wrong as opposed to being curious. And I think that there's a very different way of getting to the bottom of things that makes one of those options safe and one not. What's the next important thing that you're taking away or lesson that you've learned or thing that you think is this needs to be on the radar of leaders everywhere? And when it's not there, it's a problem. I think that with leadership, the interesting thing is there's always an assumption that there's talent, right? Like you hear about natural born leaders. And um, I think that we run the risk of assuming that talent does everything. And I think we run the risk of saying that person is incredibly charismatic. And so therefore, because of that charisma, they are a leader and people will follow them. And that's, I think, true to a certain point, but I think without all of the other things and all the work, because it is hard work, like you literally, I spend a lot of time in when I'm kind of just sitting and thinking about leading a hospital or leading a a new team, I, I spend a lot of time thinking about what things I might potentially do that could completely unhinge that group of people. And I spend a lot of time worried about that. And the reason is I've unhinged a group of people quite often in my career, very inadvertently and not on purpose. So I think that, yes, there's certainly a a charisma aspect, which is also can be taught and learned, by the way, as I've discovered, because I, I was incredibly shy as a kid. So the fact that I would be actually doing this right now in my life is ridiculous thought for me as a 12 year old, right? There's no way you could put a microphone in front of my face and have me talk to someone about stuff like this. So I think we have to remember that we can be taught, we can always learn. And there's only a certain amount of distance that talent takes us. So even if you are an innately good leader, or you know that you have skills where people would kind of willingly follow you, you know, along a journey, there is going to come a time where you have a challenge to that desire that they're going to follow you. And there, there will be a loss of faith on their part. And that's how do you recover from that, that makes you truly great. Hmm. Okay. That's a good one to ponder. So let that one percolate around in people's brains. Uh, do hit pause on the podcast if you feel so inclined, but not for too long. Okay, what other things jump out to you or you could reflect on in your leadership journey? I think I have far less energy now as a leader than I did when I was you know, 20 years younger. And I don't think that's a bad thing because I think the other thing that often we forget to do as leaders is stop and slow down. That's an interesting thing to jump into. Because I feel that as well. Like, you know, there's boundless energy. And whether it's new interests or whether that's new directions your life takes you or whether it's just you get a bit dinged up as you go through life and you do have a finite amount of energy, we will all be a long time dead. So how do you 
compensate or, you know, and actually, you know, is the energy of youth the best form of leadership energy out there? Because there's plenty of people go on leading into their 60s, 70s and 80s. I think I have the energy now for things that are important as opposed to the energy for everything, which I had when I was younger. We joked about that whole Labrador chasing the squirrel up a tree uh, thing and seeing four more and not knowing which way to go. And I think for me, when I was in earlier stages of leadership, where I had many glossy, shiny things that I was chasing after and many fantastic ideas, and I think I've had the chance to settle down a little bit on that. And I would say that had I that part of it, if I had it to do over again, I think I would probably chase fewer shiny things at once, maybe prioritize them a little better. And I think that's just because I've realized with a, you know, with a finite amount of energy, and it, it's not just due to age, actually, because you're going to have times where you're distracted. And I mean, you and I are both parents. So we understand that when school calls and says, hey, your kid's sick, come pick them up, like you automatically go into, you know, rabid parent mode as opposed to, hey, I'm a leader of a thriving business or maybe not thriving business. And there's always going to be things that distract, right? So, you know, getting ready to go on holidays versus just coming back, I, I think my outlook changes. And just, I'm more selective. I'm also more selective about where I think about stuff that's important. Like I tend now not to do that when I'm in a clinic. If I have to think mm. about something really important, I'm usually thinking about it. I do have a, an office at home, which is a luxury. However, I also will think about it on a walk with the dog or I'll think about it if I'm driving somewhere and I kind of, am a you know, those trips you make where you're on autopilot a little bit. If I have to have a hard conversation with someone, I quite often will be talking to myself in the car with the radio on <laughs> so that I can actually start to simulate, well, what am I going to say? And I actually do, I do find that practicing and knowing what I'm going to say is is important for me because I can be really glib about stuff sometimes. And I am very much the smart ass in the room sometimes. So I do have to temper that because sometimes it's like it, a lot of times, yes, it's fun and it's great. But if you're having a serious conversation, it has absolutely no place in there. And you just have to kind of, I do tamp down on that a lot. I, I'm tamping down on it right now, actually. But, um, but <laughs> I think there's a lot to be said for practice. I mean, I believe in practicing a lot of things and gaining expertise in practice it's actually also creating pathways in your brain of how do you get to that leadership mindset of how am I going to lead this group of people? And, you know, in talking about gaining muscle strength and things, I, I do believe that finding ease and doing stuff comes from practice and coming from building those pathways up so that you actually can pull them out when you're under duress and be able to kind of depend on them when you need them. All right. I feel like we could do like five new lessons like it's like the Clement Chronicles or something like that. Oh, let's like as a that, that whole, occasional that guest. That humility box. thing is going to kick in at some point. So, so long as you promise not to call it that, I will very gladly come talk to you. <laughs> I know, I know. It has to be something different. But uh, so there you go. I'll get my guitar out and think of a jingle. It sounds good. <laughs> Take it away from that. So, thank you. Always, I like hearing your thoughts. I think one of the conversations we have the most frequently, whether it's about leadership or parenting, and, and there clearly are huge overlaps in the Venn diagrams for both, is just about that growth mindset. And that's always the thing. I almost think of you when I think of Carol Dweck now. I don't know. <laughs> so often. Possibly because I quote do, that do, book all the time, but yeah. Absolutely. But I think um, with good reason. This has been good, guys. Thank you so much for sharing a little slice of your brain. We appreciate that. 
and it means that our the, the veterinary leadership success audience don't just have to listen to me nonstop. And um, hopefully, I shut my pie hole and let you speak a bit more than than I might normally do. So, thank you very much, Saev. I learn a lot from you. It's just terrific watching how you've gone on your journey as a leader and where you are yet to go as a leader. Perhaps more on that another time. Possibly some exciting news there, but thank you. I really appreciate this. It's lovely to be able to chat. And as always, it's uh, good to do that with friends. And now you've got a good mic as well. I do. You're welcome. <laughs> oh, even though you bought it. <laughs> All right, guys, till next time. Take it easy. We'll see you next week. So that wraps up today's episode of the Veterinary Leadership Success Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, it would be most appreciated if you would leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends in veterinary medicine all about us. Until next time, from all of us here, be safe, be well, and be happy. Now, are people the major pain point in your practice? If so, you're not alone. Over 90% of managers report staff problems to be their number one issue. At the root of this problem are usually three dysfunctions. A poorly articulated vision, toxic culture, or some form of leadership breakdown. If this sounds familiar, then do not despair. Help is at hand. I encourage you to check out Leaders, a veterinary-specific leadership training program where you will learn how to create and execute on a shared vision, how to hire well, and build a powerful, high-performance practice culture without all the drama. The class is accredited, delivered online, and open for applications now. To learn more, listen to a free training webinar, or apply, visit dogsadavenickel.com forward slash leaders. Now back to the show. Thank you.